0: Hey, this is Jordan. This is Wes. And this is Zach. You are now listening to the Surfing the Scriptures podcast.
1: This podcast is meant to serve as a stimulus for small group conversation about God's Word. We release a podcast once a month on a different book or topic along with discussion questions and encourage you, the audience, to keep the conversation going once the podcast ends. Today, we'll be discussing the book of Daniel.
2: Okay, Uh, so the book of Daniel. Uh, I'm excited about this book. Honestly, the book of Daniel is kind of one of those books that the first half of it is really exciting for me, and the second half is really confusing. Kind of overwhelming. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I was a little nervous and apprehensive when going to this book because there are still, even the stories are kind of weird, if I'm honest. And there are some things that I've just never quite understood that I was kind of afraid to tackle, because it, this book seems lofty and very misunderstood by a lot of people, including myself. So I was a little apprehensive when like, approaching this book, but after going, I'm about halfway through the book right now, and I'm pleasantly surprised by the things I think God has been teaching me and showing me. So I'm excited to, to, to get into it. So we're gonna start with uh, just a little bit of an overview of the book. Uh, the setting of this book is in the land of Babylon. Uh, it's from the time of the exile. Uh, the Israelites um, were, had a few different exiles. Uh, Daniel and his friends are among the first in the tribe of Judah to be exiled. So the time period of, this, uh, of when the events of this book, when they take place, is from 597 B.C. to a little bit after 539 B.C. Uh, a few years afterwards. Some main characters in this book. Daniel is the main character. He has three friends. You may know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but their Hebrew names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And there's three kings. King Nebuchadnezzar, King Belshazzar, and King Darius, otherwise known as King Cyrus. I think it's really important that we always try to get back to the theme in books like this because it's really easy for me to get lost in like, the book of Daniel, which is a monster, and it has a lot of confusing things in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, be- the, the, the theme that I landed on uh, after like researching this book and going to a few scholars uh, was to resist the beast. Uh, we resist the beast because God is sovereign over the beast. In this book, we'll see how nations and rulers who are placed over God's people fuel their own beastly nature and exalt, themso- and exalt themselves. And every time God is shown as sovereign over these beasts and in the stories and the prophecies we're instructed as to how to resist the beast by standing firm in our faith. So, uh, I think it's a powerful message. Let's go. And, yeah. uh, we can, you know, uh, jump right into a few more uh, facts about this book. I, I, I'm not going to dwell on this very long but this is one of the most hotly debated books as to when it was written and I think the more important question for us is who was this book written to uh, scholars will ask when a book is written so that they can know the audience mm-hmm. right so that they know the the Gospels were written in the first century AD oh wow well, we know we're talking to first century people in the first century AD not the 21st century mm-hmm. right um, this book, some scholars say that it was written in 165 B.C. Some scholars say it was written as early as the 6th century, 6th century B.C., so the five hundred B.C. So it's like a 400-year gap. That's like the biggest gap in most hotly debated time of when a book in the Bible was written. I think what's most important is who are the original audience, mm-hmm. right? Uh, let me ask you all, who do you think the original audience of this book was?
1: I would just based on my study say probably the man well I mean I guess the Israelites um maybe post like return from the exile um kind of just to say like you said like hey in the future there there may be more exiles but like don't give up kind of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know I actually normally think of this book as written to the exiles, mm-hmm. right? Because it contains the stories of Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and their exploits during the exile, right? right? But when you think about it, this book was actually Daniel's life runs even after the exiles start returning to the promised land. Right. And it, therefore it has to be written after the exiles have returned. So this book is not really, hey, this is how you live in exile. There are other books in the Bible for that, hmm. uh, I think like Jeremiah, and we'll read in Daniel. Daniel actually reads a passage from the scroll of Jeremiah huh. in this book Interesting. and takes note from it in response to it. But this book was written primarily to the Jews in the period of time from after Malachi to before Jesus in the silent years hmm. when a lot like Daniel and the Israelites in exile, they have off and on oppressive governments who rule over them. Yeah. And this will instruct God's people as to how to live faithfully to God under foreign rule mm-hmm. and in a hostile environment. Because when you think about it, the Israelites are really kind of still in exile like after they returned from the promised land. Right. You know, uh, And that's something that I don't really think about And I had to, you know, when I was looking through the dating of this book, I realized, oh, wow, the original audience really was people who came back from exile, and they're looking back at these stories for wisdom and these prophecies for encouragement as to how to remain faithful to God Mm -hmm. under foreign governments. be a good time also to go into the structure of the book uh, so when you read this book there's a, a very uh, a surface level structure that i think a lot of people see that's chapters one through six are all stories and chapters seven through twelve are confusing apocalyptic literature yep. right and we, we remember daniel for the, the fun stories uh shadrach meshach and abednego and the fiery furnace for the daniel fast we're going to talk about that today uh, for the lion's den and those are great and those are awesome and that's one way that this book is structured that half of it is story and the other half is apocalyptic however uh, another way really the original structuring of this book i would argue would be it's divided by language it was written both in hebrew and in aramaic now, aramaic was kind of like a, a very common language of the day and i was thinking about this and i don't think any other there's one other book of the Bible that does this, and that's Ezra and Nehemiah. And there's a significant portion of Ezra and Nehemiah where the book changes from Hebrew to Aramaic. I think there's a different reason for that. But in our modern day, I, I can't think of too many. like I thought of one analogy that I think was helpful, but I couldn't think of that many books where they expect the reader to know two languages. Yeah. It's kind of foreign to us because like we most of us grow up in a single language household. Um, yeah. I, I wish I grew up in a bilingual household sometimes, but uh, did you? No, I, I just had a oh, thought yeah, on this. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: I, In college, I took a class on postmodern literature, and in order to lay the foundation for postmodern literature, we talked about modern literature, and that's actually something that a number of uh, writers during the modern era, which was like earlier, kind of like World War Two ish time they would write in multiple languages and they would like pun between the languages. But it's like, so like trying to read it now is like, it's
2: like, why did you do, <laughs> do this? Oh, wow. Like, what's going on? So, I, I actually did not know something. that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 wow. That, okay, just the idea of going between two different languages yeah. is mind boggling to me, you know? Um, and I think that we have to admit that because 99% of the population does not speak ancient Hebrew or Aramaic Right We're at a little bit of a disadvantage because we're reading the modern translations Right And we wouldn't have the same experience that the original readers of this book had Yeah That they're reading and then all of a sudden literally like it changes languages And it doesn't give you any warning right. It just does it So the, the way that this, this book is structured Chapter 1 is in Hebrew hmm. And chapters 2 through 7 are in Aramaic and then chapters 8 through 12 are back in Hebrew again. I'm going to link a little picture from the Bible Project on one of their videos that shows this really, really well, and I think it's important to see this and hear it at the same time, too. Right. So it, I just imagine the disorienting effect that it would have on a reader to go from Hebrew, which is probably most of the Jewish people's primary language, mm-hmm. right, to Aramaic, which is... A common language but it's a language they probably had to pick up because they were in exile for 70 years mm-hmm. and that there's foreign rulers over them and they have to have, have, you know, have diplomacy with other nations so i was thinking about it and i uh i think an analogy that helped me understand this book a lot was the wizard of oz and i think this this book is doing something similar to the wizard of oz do you all know why the wizard of oz was such a I think this is one of the reasons why it was an important movie. No. I mean,
0: yeah, I don't know the specific reason. I mean, I've seen the movie like yeah, several, several times.
2: Well, one of the reasons, I remember my dad telling me this growing up, is one of the first movies in color. Oh. And it goes from black and white in Kansas to color in the land of Oz. Right. Right? Okay. So you have like the terrible animation of the house in the world, in the, the tornado, right? Yeah. and it's, it's in black and white when she's in Kansas. And then the the camera goes into the house, and Dorothy opens the door from her house, and the the house is in black and white, but then she walks into the land of Oz, and that's all in color. Yeah. And so that has the effect of showing you that you're in this new and vibrant world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's completely new, completely unfamiliar, really vibrant, really, like, crazy. You know, there's a lot of uh, symbolism in the world, and... Uh, like it's it's just very rich with like um, I don't even know how to describe it. You yeah. well, um, know, one might say we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> 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 and um, that is, I think, the kind of the effect that Daniel and uh, his friends have, it, really, that you have as a reader in reading this story, if you realize that that hey, like they go from their what's known, the Hebrew, the, the promised land, to transitioning in chapter one from the promised land into a life of exile mm-hmm. and from chapters two through seven. Not only are their names changed, but the entire language of the book changes. Yeah, And it goes from that, kind of like that scene where it goes from black and white to color. I think it might be from color to black and white, right, in this case, because yeah. then it goes back into color. Mm-hmm. and. The authors do a lot of. I actually think that the authors have a lot of play on words, kind of like what you said with the 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 modern literature. Yeah. They have a lot. Of, there's a lot of play on words, and this is way above my mind. People greater and smarter than me have done this. Yeah. The, but there, I think there actually are some play on words in the Aramaic hmm. that plays into Hebrew words a little bit as well, and so I think wow. they actually do that too, which is kind of cool, but also kind of mind-boggling. Yeah. You know. It's um, like ancient modern. Literature. Literature. (laughs) 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 Um, But it is interesting to also note that the first chapter is in Hebrew, and that's a story. So the first story is in Hebrew, and then you have chapters 2 through 7 are in Aramaic, and that has five stories in Aramaic and one prophecy in Aramaic. And then chapters 8 through 12 are all the prophecies in the apocalyptic literature. So I think it's kind of interesting that they have one, like the beginning, you know, chapter one is in, he, the first story is in Hebrew, and then the first prophecy and apoc- like part of the apocalyptic literature is in Aramaic. And I think chapter seven is kind of like the hinge point of, that this book turns on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it's the story that's still in Aramaic, but it goes from, it transitions out of the stories and out of the Aramaic section into the apocalyptic literature. And that story is all about the Son of Man, hmm. interestingly enough. So I think that's kind of like the center of this book where it hinges on. Interesting. Uh, a few other things to note. Um, and we'll go over this in, the, in our next podcast. Uh, we're going to, by the way, should, should have mentioned this earlier. We're going to uh, try to do three podcasts. Uh, one on chapter 1 today, one on chapters 2 through 7, and then one on chapters 8 through 12. Uh, to kind of follow that flow of the languages. Um, we'll go over this more in, in our, our next podcast, but uh, chapters 2 through 7 are highly paralleled. So chapter 2 parallels chapter 7. Chapters 2 about, is about a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. Chapter 7 is about a dream that Daniel has. Chapters 3 and 6 parallel and illuminate each other. Chapter 3 is about the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chapter 6 is about, is about Daniel and the lion's den. And they're both about God's people persevering under great pressure. Uh, and chapters four and five are the center of this little like parallel section and chapter four is about Nebuchadnezzar and his pride and how God humbles him and chapter five is about Belshazzar and his pride and about how God humbles him and they mirror each other as well so uh, some hopefully some tools to, to to use whenever we read through this Jump right into chapter one today. We're going to be talking primarily about the Daniel fast and chapter one. This transition period that Daniel goes through from in the land of Jerusalem and Israel to the land of exile. um Kind of like we're not in Kansas anymore, right? right? Like they're they're transitioning to a new lifestyle. I think this chapter is kind of about crisis Hmm. and how the tornado. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) it gets disorienting. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Um, and yeah I, th- I, th- I just think there's so much wisdom in this chapter that can really illuminate and uh, help us because I think we're you know we're in a time of crisis as well yeah, and things are very different and I thought there were you know even a, just a few parallels uh, from what Daniel and his friends went through in their transition to our life right now like they literally mm-hmm. had no temple to go to oh yeah they That's had much. no feasts or celebrations that they could Man. go to the temple to celebrate right. and worship God in. Yeah. Right? Wow. Uh-huh. Unfamiliar territory, right? Yeah. And so I think, like, a big question that I was asking myself when I was reading through this book, and I think that you're supposed to ask yourself is one, how is God going to be glorified in such a terrible, difficult time, like in the exile? Really. And two, how are you supposed to worship God? Yeah. Like if you're Daniel and you're like you're Jewish in the time of the exile, that's like most of the law is concerned with sacrifice, like the sacrificial the system rituals. and going to the temple or going mm-hmm. to, you know, the the tabernacle. Uh, their entire way of worshiping God changed. Yeah. And how do they stay faithful and continue to worship God in that time? Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to explore a little bit today. Good stuff. So I have two points. I think I thought it'd be uh, good to, to flesh them out now. Uh, well, to, to say them now and then flesh them out later. Hey. And my first point is that in times of crisis, we need to be both faithful and flexible. And my second point is that you can have Eden even in your exile. So I thought it'd be cool if we just start reading through the Chapter 1. Um, Zach, did you want to read? Uh, could you read uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through
0: 2? Yeah, definitely. Um, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia,
2: and placed them in the treasure house of his god. Okay, uh, so this is like a like a direct link back to it's almost a copy and paste from the end of Chronicles. Hmm. And interesting, um, we can actually read the end of Chronicles. It should be Second Chronicles thirty six, um, where it actually does. Almost verbatim, say these words. Um, and yeah, Second Chronicles. Jordan, can you read chapter thirty-six, five through
1: eight? Sure. In the NIV it says Jehokim was twenty-five years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eleven years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked him and bound him with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also took to Babylon articles from the temple of the Lord and put them in his temple there. The other events of Jehoiakim's reign, the detestable things he did, and all that was found against him are written in the books of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiachin, his son, succeeded him as king.
2: Cool. Uh, Just a little note, a little Bible note, I think. If you read, there's two accounts of God's people, Chronicles and Kings, right? Yeah. The account in... Kings doesn't mention the articles being taken off to the temple. Hmm. Yeah, and King Jehoiakim's reign, it doesn't mention that at all. Hmm. But only in Chronicles. And in the Hebrew Bible, Chronicles is the last book of the Bible. Oh, huh. Yeah. So, in some respects, Daniel could be linking you to Chronicles, or Chronicles could be linking you to Daniel. Right yeah. Uh, so, there's a little... Chronicles, like,
1: ends, and then you get into the post... Oh, kind so of the actually, pre messiah Yeah, here, yeah, here, yeah.
2: Right? If you read the original ordering of the Hebrew Bible, which is called the Tanakh. Yeah. Uh, it's a. It's an acronym. It stands for Torah, which is the law, the first five books, um, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the Ketuvim, which are the prophets, and then the Writings, which is uh, some people call them the Psalms. Um, the Book of Chronicles is at the end of the Ketuvim, the right. very end, of the original ordering of the Hebrew books of the Bible. Hmm. So, That's kind of interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah it is interesting. Um, but yeah, you know, regardless, this story does not start where Esther's story picks up. Quite the opposite, actually. It picks up not in the middle of the exile. Esther and Mordecai were born into the exile. They didn't know anything but exile. Rather, Daniel was born in the promised land and is carried off into exile. I wonder how this must affect a young man when you lived through one of the saddest days in your people's heritage and history, how must have that affected his faith? How did the people of God even worship him after that kind of blow? Uh, I, I asked the question, did Daniel have siblings, parents, hmm. family of any kind anymore? Were they killed or maybe just displaced? Um, right. Maybe he simply never saw them again. As he's being carried off into exile from the country of Judah, it is in, the country of Judah is in shambles and in not very much longer the, le- the leaders that are left will continue to play out each other's failures and spiral out of control for the next couple of decades until Jerusalem is completely destroyed and reduced to rubble. How is one to respond to a crisis like that? This book begins in one of the darkest times of Israel's history in one of the most difficult and lowest points of spirituality for the people of God. The book of Daniel will explore the tension that is created in exile. How is one going to remain faithful to God? And how is God going to save his people and be glorified in the midst of such suffering and defeat? That is the tension that I believe the book of Daniel invites us to explore as we read it. Uh, So a few questions that I asked myself when I was reading this book. How do I respond to times of crisis and change? And how firm is my faith when God throws a curveball in my life? Uh, yeah. I think maybe some questions from meditation.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but we'll continue to read through. Um, uh, Jordan, can you read verses 3 through 6? So Daniel uh, and his men are taken from the, the temple of God and placed into to, to the land of Babylon.
1: Yeah. So it says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego.
2: Cool. So we don't have the time to talk about it, but in verse 4 there's like this long list of adjectives that the king's looking. Right? Yeah. One of them is mm-hmm. without physical defect. Yeah. It's like a direct link to like a sacrificial term. Huh. Uh, and a lot of these terms are like links back to Genesis. Hmm. Uh, some of them are links to Joseph and adjectives and words that are only used to describe him to Joseph. Yeah. So, we don't have time to go into it, but just know that there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on here. Yeah. Um, I think it's beyond the scope of our podcast today. I, I want to focus a little bit more on the names, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, they're given new names. Daniel's name probably means God is my judge. Hananiah means uh, Han- Hanan Yah has saved, or Yahweh has saved. Mishael means who is what God is. Um, Azariah means... Yah has helped, or Yahweh has helped. Uh, the new names that they're assigned are all referring to various Babylonian gods Bel, Aku, or Nigo. Belteshazzar may mean Bel's prince. Shadrach may mean command of Aku, or I am of little account. I kind of look really, really, really different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, kind of a terrible name yeah. to give someone, right? And Abednego. I, Abednego most likely means servant of the god Nebo. Um, so they all went from names that are praising their Hebrew gods to names that actually praise the other, the Babylonian gods. Yeah. And they don't protest it. Yeah. Which is kind of weird, right? Yeah. I, I, I imagine if this happened to some Americans today... <laughs> American yeah. Christians. Oh, man. <laughs> Whew. Yeah. We'd be protesting, you know? Yeah. Be, um, yeah. Uh, and very bad. And <laughs> Daniel and his friends are okay with it. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, it's very enlightening. Um, yeah, yeah, go for it.
1: I, I think that you really can't overemphasize how humiliating this whole process must oh, have yeah. been. Right. You know, they're essentially just stripping them of their, of their Hebrew heritage and wow. trying to mold them into Babylonians. Yeah. And, you know, the Hebrews were very proud of their heritage, you know. Yeah. To me, the whole renaming thing is kind of like how to think of a more recent metaphor like with in the concentration camps back oh, in World War 2 they'd yeah. be given a number Yeah. and it's
0: like that's who you are you're just this mm-hmm. number
1: it's like intention you know that's your identity now. yeah yeah.
0: it still <laughs> happens today <laughs> it still happens today maybe not like to the extent of punishment that um, you know that the, that the Jews went through through the holocaust but mm-hmm. I mean even in today's prisons you, you're always assigned like a number oh, yeah. and that's yeah. who your identity yeah. is you know yeah. so yeah. Yeah. but it is crazy you
2: just like they didn't revolt they didn't resist yeah hmm. yeah it is and they're also uh, think the training they they have to learn Babylonian literature and language yeah, yeah. right so yeah. they're like learning from most likely Babylonian religion right yeah and most likely you know like all these like different philosophies, of the nation of Babylon, and then they're serving directly the king who just like plundered their homeland and their their native country. Yeah, and they're faithful to him. And And right. you actually read the accounts of, in these stories, it seems like the kings, like the king, actually usually likes Daniel. Yeah. Like they're yeah, actually pretty, lucky pretty fond to have of him. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, like, <laughs> like, it seems like they're really really they like him. Like they have a good relationship, and that Daniel wants the best for them too. Yeah. So, um, that's convicting to me, just in itself, you know. Yeah. Uh, there is one thing that Daniel takes a stand in, though. Yeah. And of all things, it's his diet. <laughs> right? right. You would I would expect the name, or I would expect what they're learning, right? No, give us Hebrew, like, scrolls of the Bible, or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. but it's the diet. And I think uh, this is kind of goes to um, my first point that in crisis, we need to be faithful and flexible. I think uh, I heard a, I heard a, a, a pastor. <coughs> bless you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jordan in his shirt. He's fine. Um, <laughs> um, I heard a pastor recently Allergies. say that crisis brings clarity. Hmm. Crisis usually reveals what's most important. And yeah. I think the, the same is true for us even today, right? Daniel and his friends, they, they were restricted in the things that they could do and they were forced to do a lot of things that they didn't want to do. Their identities were changed. But I think through all of that, it brought clarity as to what was really important in their lives and how they need to worship God and what's important in their worship of God. In times of crisis, it's important to be flexible and have grace on yourself Hmm. in certain areas of your life and to have wisdom to know what areas of your life you do not need to be flexible where you need to be firm in and unwavering in. Yeah. Um,
1: What really matters. Yeah. Right. What does God really care about?
2: Yeah. And I think a good question to ask ourselves as we read through this, what area of your life do you need to plant your flag in right now? Mm -hmm. Maybe... It's something as simple as working out every day to keep you sane, or going on a walk every day, or calling a brother or sister and praying with them. Uh, Maybe it's intently reading your Bible, praying or fasting. Uh, Whatever the case may be, I think it's important that in times of crisis, we plant our flag in a certain area and we don't waver in it. Something else that I noticed, God never tells Daniel to only eat vegetables. At least it's not specifically stated. Right. It just says that Daniel resolves not to defile himself with the the king's food.
1: Right. Yeah. It's interesting. So there is no there is no like law saying that they could only eat vegetables. There are other like laws related to food. Yeah. But it wasn't like hey just eat vegetables.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. The law has requirements, and sometimes you're required to eat or sacrifice. It's meat. Right, Right? Um, and that's a really good question. How does Daniel and his friends remain faithful to God? Why choose the vegan diet? (laughs) You know, Uh, uh, ironically, like why vegetables? Mm. Why just vegetables and water? That's such a weird thing to to resolve. Because one thing to resolve to be within the laws, right? Yeah. It's another thing to say we're only going to eat vegetables and water. And why did he see
0: Nebuchadnezzar's food as something that would defile him? That's yeah. That, that was like my one of my yeah. biggest concerns, you know, because obviously they were in. I mean, I don't know how how different practices to their gods were during this time period, but I mean, there's a reason why you know Daniel and his friends felt that if they ate this food they would be defiling themselves before God.
2: Yeah. Yeah, or was it
0: meat sacrifice to one of their gods? Yeah, I'm
2: not sure. I it's mean, interesting because yeah. we're never told. Yeah. Right? And there it's it's almost like the author wants you to like like think, ponder that, you know, right. to think, oh, maybe there was, you know, the, these were being sacrificed to other gods. And if mm-hmm. it was that if that was the case, and I think about Paul in the New Testament. Right and he talks about eating food sacrifice to idols right yeah. and he even says things like nothing is unclean in itself right mm-hmm. but anything done outside of faith is sin yeah and man I think about like you know like the reasoning was why Daniel chose all of this I you know this is just my opinion yeah but I think this was Daniel trying to find a certain area of his life to plant his flag in and to not move in Mm-hmm. And it could be debatable, but Daniel felt called by God to take a stand in it. And I think God was in, God may have just been sitting up and saying, Oh, you know what? I like your faith, Daniel. I'm yeah. going to honor that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lesson in there for us that sometimes we don't have to be exactly quote-unquote correct yeah. with our interpretation of the Bible. Sometimes we don't have to be correct in our doctrine exactly. Sometimes I think God just wants us to act in faith. Yeah. and that he'll take care of the rest it's important yeah. to be as to, to be doctrinally correct in my opinion right. and to strive to really really uh, be obeying the Bible to understand the Bible and to not deviate but we're always going to yeah. be have a skewed perspective yeah. and uh, I think this story at least illuminates a little bit that it seems like yeah. God is honoring a decision that Daniel makes and saying yeah. I like your faith I'm going to honor that.
1: We have the historical perspective of being able to say, hey, Daniel, you probably would have been fine eating that meat, right? Because we have the writings of Paul. He didn't have that. So (laughs) maybe he could have eaten that meat, but even that being the case, God still blessed his decision.
2: Yeah, no. And um, yeah, I I think that's such a good point, you know? Um, And maybe Daniel knew that. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he was just acting in faith, you know? Yeah. I think this would also be a good time to... Um, oh, something else I want to point out. Uh, this is not advocating the vegan diet. <laughs> um, verse 15 in the New American Standard Bible says, at the end of their 10 days, as so after they do 10 days of eating only vegetables, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the other youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So it's not advocating... You know, I, I think of usually think of this story yeah. as like they the vegetables and they were just like super in shape, like that was solving math problems. Yeah, and it yeah. the 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 Hebrew word the, the if you read the like like the the two Hebrew words where they translate fatter, mm-hmm. it's fatter of flesh. Then mm-hmm. literally, that's what the words mean. Than all the other youths. I think the the N I B says better nourished. Better nourished. Yeah, yeah right? That's what I have. Um, yeah. But literally, yeah. it's fatter. <laughs> yeah. Um So it's kind of like the miracle here is not that they're really in shape from eating this diet. It's more that they ate such little sustenance and God somehow miraculously made them fatter and nourished them. So much so that they gained weight. Yeah. So... Uh, if you made the vegetables multiply in their stomach, like, right? Just like <laughs> Jesus
1: made the bread and the fish multiply. Oh man! <laughs> have you ever
0: been like on a on a diet similar to this, or have you ever? Have any of you ever eaten like vegetables and water for days? I know like, I've done the Daniel fast before. You've done the Daniel fast Okay, it's
2: easier for us, right? Yeah. Because we can now nowadays we have a lot of tasty things. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever done just straight vegetables and water. Yeah, I've done things like. Tofu and tempeh and peanut butter and yeah.
0: bread, you know. Yeah, I know um, people that have done. You know, they've just eaten. You know, fruit and water for like a period of days, and that's all that they do. But they don't gain
2: weight. I'll tell right. you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's for the point sure. of the story is saying yeah. that they should have lost weight, but they gained weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was doing a little bit more research and i think this kind of lead this will lead into my second point i'm gonna nerd out a little bit uh, for but this is going to lead to my second point. we're getting somewhere uh, the hebrew word for vegetables here is the hebrew word zerua. it means seed plants or mm-hmm. sown vegetables so so th- i looked this up on blue little bible and the definition one of the one of the definitions is pulse. And that's a really weird word. I'm like, wait, what do you mean? Like a pulse, like someone's pulse. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually a term for lagoons. Oh. And veg like plants that have edible seeds in them. Hmm. The Hebrew word zoroah comes from the Hebrew word zarah which means to scatter seed. It even sounds like it. And the first time that word is used in the Bible is in Genesis 111. There's a creation story right God's right. creating the world and in the creation story God only makes plants that make and bear seed and then mm. the humans go off and they bear seed and he tells the humans to be fruitful and in increase so it's kind of like a little bit of an analogy right so in Genesis 111 it says let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing their fruit after them with seed in them." Literally it says, let the earth sprout vegetation, that Zorazerrah that scatters, scatters. So this is like kind of linking it to Genesis 1, right? Yeah. They're on the Genesis one diet. This is the first um, the fruit and the, 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 the trees in the Garden of Eden are the first thing that God gives humanity. Right For sustenance. Yeah, for sustenance. So you yeah. ask why vegetables, it seems like it's a connection to Genesis 1, mm-hmm. and we're shown that Daniel is kind of like, hey, he's on the Genesis 1 diet. <laughs> he's right? taking it back. <laughs> <laughs> taking it all the way back, yes. right? Um, and I thought about this. How does this change the message? Right? Uh, what is the author trying to communicate by telling us that Daniel and his friends only ate seed plants, legumes? Um, I think that... Um, he's telling us that you can still have Eden in your exile. Yeah. That it's almost like Daniel and his friends are, like, kind of like metaphorically speaking, transporting themselves back to the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Through their act of faith. And yeah. it's like they're being nourished by God. Yeah. A little bit of both spiritually and mm. then supernaturally, physically. Yeah. Right. And man, I'm like, wow, It's kind of powerful yeah. to see that, you know, that you can, they're still, eat, like they're kind of metaphorically in Eden. In yeah. Exile.
1: I think it's really, that's a really cool point. And I kind of, when I look at the Bible as a whole, you see in Genesis, it starts out and the kingdom of God is cosmic, right? Yeah. And, but then you see, it almost gets like shrunken down throughout the scriptures into yeah. like the kingdom of Israel. And I think yeah. that, well, in reality, it never got shrunk down, but I think Israel at times thought that they were synonymous with the kingdom of God, right? Like, uh, the kingdom of God yeah. was just, you know, yeah. in Israel. And almost through, like, the exile and some of these, like, stories in the apocalyptic literature, it's, like, re-expanding, like, reminding us, no, like, the, the kingdom of God is cosmic. It's not in one place, mm-hmm. which I think is a really which relates to your point about like even in exile you can have eden and relates a lot as well to what we're going through you know
2: yeah yeah there were so many limits on what they could and couldn't do but they could still have faith in god yeah and no one can take away that faith yeah um and it reminded me of jeremiah 29 when jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles daniel reads this letter later on in the book and so like this was actually written to the exiles we love verse 11 to 13 right right i know the plans that have you plans that to seek uh, prosper you, not to harm you give you hope in the future but i've always it's always struck me how the that letter opens and it says thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel to all the exiles whom i have sent to from jerusalem to babylon build houses and live in them plant gardens and eat their fruit Hmm. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and daughters to your husbands that they may bear many sons and you may multiply there and not decrease. Okay. Mm-hmm. Seek the peace of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on behalf of it for in its peace you will have peace. Wow. What is that if not another like... Right. Link to Genesis, right? Mm -hmm. Build, like plant your own fruit gardens, right? Have wives and be fruitful and increase. Yeah, There's so many parallels. And I think what Jeremiah is trying to tell them is you can still have exile in Eden. You can still have Eden in exile, sorry. (laughs) Even more, he's almost
1: saying make Eden in exile. Yeah. 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 Make gardens in exile.
0: Make the most out of it, right? Man, we, we can definitely relate to that. Especially with what's going on yeah. right now. Um, you know, I mean, obviously with this with this pandemic and, you know, people are losing others. But, I mean, honestly, through this time, it just shows you, you know, I think God is just, once again, just showing us that, you know, peace is possible through me. And that the fact that, you know, you're not you're not alone. You're not by yourself. Yeah. You really, know, yeah. Um, just like Jeremiah wrote to the Israelites. Like, you know, you have your... You have your peace through through God, but you also have your relationships as well too, you know, even through this tough period that you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we can't come to the church
1: building anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe we in a way, subconsciously or consciously, associate or limit God's kingdom to going to church on Sunday. Yeah. Right. Going to the church building on (laughs) Sunday. Yeah. Right. And now we have the opportunity to kind of reevaluate that and realize that God's church, God's kingdom is cosmic. And so it's like, well, where are we? Like we're at home. most of us probably still live with people. It's like, Hey, like that's an opportunity to have fellowship, have kingdom, uh, interactions, kingdom relationships with those people. Maybe those are people that we overlooked. Yeah. Thinking, you know, or, you know, had lost priority, uh, gotten our priorities out of line yeah it's like man yeah. I, I have i can this is an opportunity i can invest in my relationship
2: with my wife exactly and, right <laughs> like, exactly yeah yeah and it just depends on the perspective and i think when i was reading this it's almost like daniel's faith is what unlocks that eden little eden in exile yeah. mm-hmm. that, mindset. that mindset right and it's that mindset that gives him the fruit of the garden, quote-unquote, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I mean, man, I can only think, what kind of, where can you plant your garden? You know what I mean? You gotta have a whole sermon series out of this, right? Like, How can you um, make Eden? In exile. In and exile, and yeah. that's the tension that we're invited, I think, to explore in our own lives right now. And man, that could be anything from a Bible reading plan to prayer to, like you said, Jordan, connecting with the people in your house. Yeah. Um, yeah, Zoom calls, like fo- prayers. You know, like I, I for a couple of weeks, I would pray with brothers every night over the phone. Yeah. Cause I just think I just I was like, man, I would have never have done this if it wasn't for <laughs> this uh, right. pandemic. And while a lot of terrible things are happening, God can still be glorified through it all. Yeah, in
1: some ways, we're trying to make this podcast yeah. a little bit yeah. of Eden in this time
2: of yeah. It's a little bit Yeah. <laughs> <whatever>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I wrote a few more questions, I think, kind of to close out. Um, how am I handling transition in my life right now? Uh, have things gone from color to black and white? Uh, maybe from familiar to foreign? And how am I responding to that? I could ask how optimistic am I in these times, but I think Daniel rather asked, how can I be faithful to God in these times, and He let God do the rest. Um, What is your Daniel moment? What is God calling you to take a stance in? Uh, Where can you cultivate your Eden in exile? Thanks again for tuning in, guys. I hope this was helpful and an encouragement to you. And if it was, then please consider subscribing to us and while you're at it, writing us a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You know, the conversation doesn't stop here. This is so much more than a podcast. This is a tool to help us go deeper in the Bible together. We're going to have some small group discussion questions for some small group phone calls and also some large group discussion questions for some larger Zoom calls or phone calls as well. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.